Him one more time. Isn't he worthy? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming on a day that should be warmer than it was during Christmas time, but it's colder than it was at Christmas time. Here's a weird thing about weather that I had to look up at and ask Google is why is it when we get closer to the sun, we can still have colder days than when we were further from the sun? Think about that. Now in February, we are closer to the sun. The days are longer. How many noticed that? How many happy about that? Days are longer. We're closer to the sun. But why are we now having colder days than when we were further from the sun? Like in December, man, it's about as far away from the sun as you can get right before that winter equinox happens. That's why the days are the shortest. And Google gave me that answer, and you're going to have to look it up to find that answer. No, I'm kidding. It's because of the atmosphere. Somebody say the atmosphere. The atmosphere changes. And so though we're closer to the sun now, it should be warmer. That old atmosphere is coming from somewhere like Alaska, and it's messing with us right now. Everybody say, go back in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. I'll be traveling this week, doing a little pre-vacay, before the vacay. Um, I'll go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras every year, and I always try to put a little something, something, either before or after this year. It worked out before. So I'll be suffering for Jesus in Florida this upcoming week. So please, please pray, pray for me as you think about me uh, fishing and pray that I catch a big shark and feel sorry for me if I don't. Uh, anyways, and I looked at it, and it doesn't look too good either way. It's only going to be in the 60s, so don't don't get too upset with me. But then we'll be going to Mardi Gras, joining our teams. My wife will be giving her presentation to get her master's degree. She's not here, but let's bless her. Amen. Your pastor's wife, Pastora, she's getting her master's degree, making her presentation. And just keep her in prayer because that's a big deal, you know, raising six kids. We also do homeschooling. And I, what I mean by we, I mean she does homeschooling. And she pastors the church, so she'll be doing that. And, of course, just all the gospel that goes out during that time. Some of you aren't familiar with our connection to New Orleans. It's because the Bible college that I went to in, in, was in New Orleans, and that was like over 20 years ago. And about 10 years ago, they started extension sites around the country. Uh, they're based out of Oakland, California now, but they still keep their main conference and their get-together once a year in New Orleans. So Mardi Gras for us is a great time to preach the gospel. All the nations of the world are there. All states are there. And then they get to have their Bible college conference as well. So so you can think of it like they're getting poured in and then they're being poured out. And in years uh, prior to this, we invited others from the church to come to work with other groups. So I have a lot of friends there because I also used to live there after a Bible college and I pastored there for a while. And some of my friends have uh, their own ministries during that time. So you can bring your families. They have places to stay. Sometimes they rent out blocks of uh, rooms of hotels. And so if that's something you guys want to do, uh, talk to Lauren or Jared and we'll look at maybe doing that next year if you want to get a piece of the pie. You know, take your little spring vacay and make it, you know, just not a vacation to go out and sip daiquiris by the beach or something, but take your vacation time to actually go preach the gospel. How many think that would be worth it? Amen. And I, and you know, I just want to say this real quick. You know, oftentimes pastors make it sound like what they do is the hardest thing in the world. And, and they need vacation from you, the sheep, because you, the sheep, just be biting them too much and messing with them. And, and pastors will say, I need a break from church. That's the exact opposite of me. 
On my vacation, one of my prerequisites is I will not miss a weekend unless I'm preaching somewhere else. So I will be preaching next Sunday at a church that we're helping and supporting by giving them our discipleship materials. We've been uh, coaching them and so forth and so on. And it's going to be a great time, so think about that. And then Jared will be here preaching to you, and I expect to see the place packed. Amen. So don't y'all be like, well, Pastor Joe ain't preaching. I'm not going to be there. Pastor Joe thinks you're lame if you think that way. If you only come to church to hear a person or to even if a worship leader wasn't here or something, that is so lame. Don't we come for Jesus? And that's what we're into today. First John is the book we're in. We're going verse by verse. Today we're in chapter 2, verse 18. And we're going to be talking about resisting antichrist and remaining in Christ. Are you ready? Amen. Let's go to verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Let us just take a moment and get a wake-up call from John the Apostle. If he said 2,000 years ago that was the last hour, what do you think we're in now? We're in the last minutes, if not the last seconds of the last hour. He then tells us that we have to understand there is an Antichrist singular coming, and that's going to mark the end. Soon after that, God is going to bring his, his bowls of wrath, tribulation, final judgment. But until the Antichrist singular comes, there will be many smaller, less uh, significant, but still deceptive Antichrist plural. And the Bible wants us to be warned about that, that many of these antichrists will come from within our midst, which means they will come from within Christianity and then go out from Christianity to deceive. Deception wouldn't be deceiving unless it was deceivable or believable as a deception. You have to have some type of a hook to get people to believe your lies. If everything you said was a lie, you wouldn't get much of a response. So you got to have some truth mixed in there with the lie. You've probably heard the example of rat poison. Most of it we could eat and be fine with. It's that little bit of strychnine. It's that little bit that causes the death, a little bit of anthrax will cause a whole lot of death. A, a little bit of this virus going on there, the carnivorous. Oh, how do you pronounce that word? Coronavirus. Just a little bit of that will mess you up. And so we see in the Bible that he's warning us of these people. Let's keep going as we learn about this. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has, excuse me, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, here in this passage, we learn two key concepts that John wants us to get that we have an anointing that teaches us all things, and we don't even need, quote unquote, a teacher. 
over that anointing. The anointing is what teaches us all things, and the teacher comes underneath the anointing. Now, up until this point, John has been talking about the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son. He has not mentioned the Holy Spirit yet. Yet in his gospel, he talks more about the Holy Spirit than any of the gospel writers. Let's skip ahead to 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, just so we can understand that it is the Holy Spirit that is giving us the anointing. And then we're going to go to John's teachings that he recorded of Jesus, rather, Jesus' teachings teachings in John's gospel. So just skip ahead to John chapter 4, verse 6 there in the, in, in the epistle that we're in, and he'll tell you that it's the Spirit of God who gives us this anointing. He says, this is how we recognize the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of falsehood. Somebody say the Spirit of truth. Now we know if we go up to verse 2, what the Spirit of truth is. It's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2 of that same chapter. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now let's go to John 14 and understand how the Holy Spirit was presented to us by Jesus in the Gospel of John. John uses a lot of the same terminology so that we can track with his gospel and his epistle. A gospel is a letter written about the life of Jesus. An epistle is a letter written about how to apply the life of Jesus from the apostle. Some apostles wrote gospels as well. John is one of them. He wrote a gospel and he wrote epistles. Now let's look at John chapter 14 and see the teaching of the Holy Spirit. He begins the chapter by saying that we are going to be left, uh, he is going to leave us, but it's not going to be like orphans because Jesus is going to come back to us. Then Jesus reminds us in verse 6 that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He ends chapter 14, skip ahead to verse 23, and he says, if you obey my teaching, the Father and the Son will come and live with you. Look at verse 23. It says, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, everybody understand how important this is. The Trinity has to be true for the Bible to make sense. Some Pentecostals say there's no Trinity, it's only Jesus. Jesus appears as the Father, Jesus appeared as the Son, and Jesus is now appearing as the Holy Spirit. Just like you can be one person and have three different roles. Hi, my name is Joe. I'm appearing as your pastor today doing pastor stuff. When I go home, I'm the father to the kids, and when I hang out with Nancy tonight, I'm her husband. But one Joe is up here, but I have three different roles. That's how some people view how God's nature is. That would not fit into this scripture. Those people are not wrong just because we don't like them. They're wrong because they make the Bible contradict itself. Unless uh, Jesus is schizophrenic, there has to be more than one for there to be a we. Does everybody understand that? If I say we are going to go do something and then I just show up by myself, how many know I have a problem there? And if I talk about myself in the third person, that's another kind of problem, you know, people who do that. But listen to this very carefully as you see it. If you obey my teaching, Jesus talking, if you obey my teaching, my Father will love you. So my Father will love you. So Jesus is obviously not his own Father in this sense. He's not the same person. Now, you might say, well, how do they share the same nature of God? 
The same nature of God is shared by three separate persons, how we all share humanity. We share humanity as different persons. And in divinity, there's one difference. You and I don't have to be one in our nature in the sense of sharing the same mind, sharing the same you know, uh, thoughts, etc. We can be one in our ability. With God, they share the same mind in those things, and that's why he's God and we're not. But when he made us in his image, he made us plurality, one race, the human race. And when man, one person, and woman, another person come together, they are echad in Hebrew. They are one in the same sense that God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons and yet are one. They don't have to make love to do it. They are always one. But the physical represents something from the spiritual. Are you guys tracking with me? So he's not talking about himself. At baptism, he's not ventriloquicking up here with a puppet called the Father. Here I am in the water. Son, I'm well pleased with you. And then he uh, shapeshifts into the Holy Spirit. No, that, those are literally three persons all sharing one nature. And here's how it's so important to understand this. He says that when you obey my teaching, my Father loves you. Two persons there. And then he says, we will come make our home with them. Does everybody see that? So two persons are going to come now make their home with the person obeying Jesus' commands. But how are they going to do that? Look at verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the who? The who? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Go back to the notes, please. Did you see the three persons in one verse? I will send him from the Father, and he will be with you and remind you of all things that are true. You have an anointing from the Holy One. When we come to Christ, repent of our sins, the Holy Spirit makes us a new spiritual being and begins to live inside of us. The Holy Spirit brings to us the real presence of the Father and the Son. Now, via the Holy Spirit, we have the thoughts of the Father, the thoughts of the Son, through the Holy Spirit. We can know what the Father thinks about us and what the Father wants us to know, and we can know what Jesus wants us to know. But we're not going to hear the Father like in our heart go, hello, I'm your Father, and then Jesus be like, what's up, guys? And then the Holy Spirit go, I'm here too. No, the Holy Spirit is going to speak on behalf of the Father and Son because they share the same voice, same nature, same thoughts. Are you tracking with me? But how are they separate persons? They're separate persons in their functions. The father serves as the father, the overseer. The son serves as our savior. And the Holy Spirit then serves both the father and the son. Now, some people might say, well, it sounds like they're not all equal. No, my wife does something different than I do in the home, and so does the, the children. But that doesn't mean my wife or children are less human being than I'm a human being. Just because my wife and children may serve me and I might be in charge in that sense does not diminish their human nature. My wife is still a human. How many believe that? Even though I'm in charge. How many know my children are still humans? even though I'm in charge. So we all share equally in my house the human nature, but we have different roles. In the Godhead, in the God nature, there are different roles, but they all share the same nature. 
Father, 100% God. Jesus, 100% God. Holy Spirit, how much percent God? 100%. Not 33.33, not one-third, one-third, one-third. All equally God. Is my wife one-third human? Is my child one-third human? Am I one-third human? No. And remember, you say, Pastor, why do you give us these examples of marriage and family and children? That's how he made us. In his image, he made them male and female and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's how we see the plurality of persons in the family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, by looking at the plurality of persons in humanity. Becoming one through sexuality, as the Bible said, and through marriage and family. That's the first thing that we learn, that the Holy Spirit brings to us truth. And so there's no lie that's ever going to come from the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that I want to ask you uh, before we go on is, do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Meaning, have you been born of the Spirit, and do you have the Spirit inside of you anointing you, which simply means to smear, like if you took oil and smeared it over your doorpost to anoint your house or to smear it over somebody's head to pray for them, or if you, you know, smear it over the food before you cook it. Anointing means that something has been smeared. It has become a uh, a symbol of what the Holy Spirit does, smearing, covering probably is a better word, covering us. So have you been covered by the Holy Spirit? Are you now impacted by the Holy Spirit? Do you have a relationship with him? Because then you'll know the truth. So not even an apostle can deceive you. Not even, uh, you know, if they were to be a false apostle, rather, or a false prophet, because you have the Holy Spirit. And then now he tells us what is an antichrist at the core. At this time, there were people going around going, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. But their Jesus didn't look like the Jesus of the Bible. So, for example, you'll see these kinds of people, uh, these, these kind of people today saying, Man, I believe in Jesus, and my Jesus wouldn't judge anybody, and my Jesus wouldn't send anybody to hell. You're right. Your Jesus wouldn't do that because your Jesus is make-believe. Your Jesus lives with Snuffleupagus and Big Bird, and your Jesus is a, a fairy tale. So you're right. Your Jesus wouldn't do any of that because your Jesus doesn't exist. The real Jesus of the Bible, do what he do, y'all. And he, he doesn't need your permission. So we better just come to understand what he does. But specifically at this time, the most popular form of being an antichrist in John's generation, an anti just meaning against the real Christ, because you cannot be teaching something against his character and not be against him as a person. If you started smearing my name, you're, you're doing something against me as a person. It's not just that my character is separate from my personhood. By smearing the character of Jesus, they were coming against the person of Jesus. So they were anti-Jesus. I want to clarify that because they might have said to you, well, I love Jesus. I'm not anti-Jesus. Do I look anti-Jesus? I love Jesus. I worship Jesus. And even still, some people may do that today. Here's, here's Jesus on the cross. I have, him, I have him on my necklace. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But at the core, or if they are against the character, the teachings, the doctrine of Jesus, they are anti the real person of Jesus. So John said this kind of person was in their midst, and he wanted his church to understand what was going on. So John was going to start calling it out. He says, if someone denies that Jesus is the Christ, they're an antichrist. So if they have some way around this to say, I love Jesus, but he's not really the Christ, 
or he's one of many Christ. You know, he's just one of many uh, avatars of, of, uh, of the Jewish God, like Krishna, you know, manifesting in different times, or like Buddha. He's not the Christ. He's not the singular Christ. John's very clear. They're an antichrist. I don't care if they're nice. I don't care if they're a vegan. I don't care if they're, you know, so nice to you at, at the job. This is not about niceanity. This is about Christianity. And we're not here to be mean to our enemies. Doesn't the Bible say that you are to even love your enemies? So if they are an enemy of the truth, we still love them as a person. He's very clear. They're an antichrist. And when they do that, have Christ wrong, they don't get the Father either. You see, it says when they don't have Jesus as Christ, they deny the Father and the Son. And if you do not have Jesus right, you don't still get the Father. So sometimes people will say, you know, like about Islam or different monotheistic beliefs, they'll say, well, we're all just serving the same God. No, we're not. Not according to the Bible. If your God does not have a son named Jesus, that's not the God I'm talking about. You're talking about some other God. Now, people may want to be very particular and talk about names. They may say, well, Allah can mean God in Arabic. That's true. Christians in Arabic-speaking cultures may call him Allah. That's true. But when we're talking about what is Allah, what kind of God is Allah, then you have to be very specific. Does your God, the one you worship, have a son who is the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Only One, of the whole world, and only through him do we go to the Father. If you don't have that right, then you got a problem. Can I hear an amen? Now it says, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father, who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now let me just pause right here. Some of you might say, well, what about Mormons? What about Jehovah Witnesses? Some of these popular Christian cults would be like, amen. Of course Jesus is the Christ. Mormons would say, I believe that. Jesus is the Christ. Talk to Jehovah Witnesses. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Even Muslims believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Let's say, yeah, we agree. He was the Christ. So what do we do with people who say, I agree with this? Is this the only test of Christian fellowship? No. First of all, he has already rebuked four false claims just in the verses before. If you claim to be in Jesus but you live in darkness, you're a liar. So you could be saying all day long you believe in Jesus and have all of your doctrine right, but if you're not living right, you're a liar. And then he begins to go through some of those false claims. But also elsewhere in the Bible, other false claims are dealt with. For example, if you deny that Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh. Paul says you cannot be saved. Do you want to see that? Okay, for the three that want to see it, let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans. It's kind of important that you have to believe Jesus is God to be saved, but uh, maybe you guys are sleeping on that. How many want to see it in Romans? Okay, amen. Now we got up to half of you. That's wonderful. When does my vacation start? I just want to know. It's a little tough right now. I know. I know. You were one of the three that wanted it from the very beginning. It's for you, Dito. I do this all for you. No, I'm kidding. Unto the Lord. It's a joy. We're having fun. Look at this. Romans chapter 10. This is mind-blowing when you get it. It says, say, let's start in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
This is where all three of those cults, and Islam, though it's a world religion, it's still a cult because it comes after Christianity and changes the, de- the teachings and doctrine of Christianity. So all three of the ones I mentioned, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and Muslims, may say Jesus is the Christ, so they wouldn't have fallen under the rebuke of 1 John to his specific situation, but Paul had John's back, had it covered, okay? So in Paul's epistle, he's very clear. For you to even be saved, you have to believe Jesus is Lord. Now, all those cults may say, well, Lord is like landlord there, just master. When you call your, the, the owner of your house landlord, do you mean you know he's your God? No, you just mean he's in charge of stuff. He's in charge of your house. Jesus is in charge of stuff. Muslims would say uh, Jesus is in charge of the Jewish people. Uh, Mormons and, and Jehovah Witnesses would say he's our Savior, but he's not the one God of the universe. There's other gods above him. He's a creature created by God, etc. Mormons would say that Jesus was created by God the Father having sex with God the Mother. That's how he was created as well as Satan, and they became brothers. They had a fight, and that feud turned into what we see now as good and evil in the world. That's the stuff they don't tell you when they knock on your door. And Jehovah Witnesses would say that the Father created Jesus as a lowercase g God at the beginning of the universe and then did all things from him. So there's two gods in the Jehovah Witness belief system, one big great God and then a smaller God. Can you say that according to Paul? No, because Lord there does not mean landlord. How do we know? Let's keep going. Verse 11, as scripture says, whoever believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. So now he's Lord of all, Lord of lords and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved right there in the context. Now, don't you love it when Paul quotes the Old Testament? Now, go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is what he's quoting. Let's see if he means landlord or just master or just a Messiah that just has a couple little doodiddles to do in God's kingdom, but he's not truly the God of the Bible. The Bible says there's only one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Jewish people would recite this multiple times a day and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. There's only one God. How many are having a hard time finding the book of Joel? That's me right now with my big old sausage fingers. It's hard to do this. Okay, I got it. You all ready? Okay, Joel chapter 2. Now let's see who's talking. Say, go to verse 12. Go to chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2 of Joel, verse 12. And what does it say? It says, Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. That Lord there is all caps, isn't it? So who's the Lord that's speaking there? That's Yahweh. That's the God of Israel. Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? And let's just keep on going. It says, rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your who? Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, he is compassionate. Now, let's get to the point where it says that he will save you. I lost my place when I was finding this, so i got to get it for you here. Is it 32? There we go. Thank you, my man, on point. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Well, there you go, Jehovah Witnesses. Anyone who calls on the name of Jehovah will be saved. And in Romans, it says you must confess that Jesus is Jehovah. There you go. So now the Jewish person, though they are not an antichrist, 
A Jewish person is living under old revelation. They're still not saved, but they are not an antichrist. The Bible's clear about that. The Jewish person now has to rectify where is their Messiah. The Messiah was promised to come during the second temple because the second temple's glory was going to be greater than the first glory of Solomon's temple. And yet now we all know, historical fact, the second temple's been destroyed since 70 A.D., You could build another temple, but that couldn't be the temple that God promised to bring a greater glory to. Therefore, we have to now believe that Messiah had to come between the second temple being built and it being destroyed in 70 AD. Who's the one that came during that time, walked into that temple, acted and talked just like God? That's Jesus. Jesus kept his word that he would come personally to that second temple and bring a greater glory. So when we go back to the notes, what do we see here? We see that we are not to deny Jesus as being the Christ, and then those of us who can pass that test, we're to go one step further and say, not only is he Christ Messiah, but he is, as Messiah, the God of the Jews. He is the God of the Jews. Let me just show you that a few more places. Do you have time to learn about the God of the Jews, who is now the God of of the Gentiles as well? And he's always been the God of the Jews and Gentiles, but the Gentiles were blinded, couldn't see it because our relatives wanted to worship stones and idols and do a whole bunch of crazy stuff. How many know if we go back enough into our indigenous culture, we are all a bunch of idolaters? I don't have to go very far into Italian culture to find it. How many know my Latino friends? You don't have to go very far to find it. Manchu, Pichu, the Aztecs. We all turned away from God, the Bible said. The Jewish people were the only ones left, and even them, were stum- they were stumbling all the time. They had to go into exile. But now, because of Jesus, he is the God of both the Jew and the Gentiles. That's why we're getting out the message. But let's go to Genesis chapter 18 and just go right to the beginning. Get a clear understanding and a revelation here of where Jesus has been this whole time. Because maybe now we only have left, Jew and Christian. Well, the Jew says our Messiah hasn't come. Christian said he has come. We talk to them about the timeline of the temple and say he had to have come according to scriptures like Malachi and so forth. And and you say that that can be interpreted differently. Well, maybe let's try another route. Look at Genesis chapter 18 verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Come on, somebody. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, just just put your hand right there if you can, and then, brother, open up another tab. Go to Exodus chapter 33. If you know anything about the Bible, you know the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. So the guy who's recording this story also knows what's going on in Exodus 33. Now, in Exodus chapter 33, we learn that at this time, the closest person to God was Moses. Who was the closest person to God at that time? Moses. But now look at what God said to Moses when he asked him to see his face. He said, uh, you know, Moses asked God, he said, man, can I see your face? Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you and know you by name. So he asked him if his presence will come first. But let's go to this thing about the face. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Saying a lot of good stuff he will do for him. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and 
Okay, so Moses says, God, I want your presence, and God says, I'll do that for you. And now he says, I want to see your face and hang out with you face to face. I just want to chill with you. And God says, I'll do a lot of stuff for you, but I can't do that because you can never see me and live. Now go back to Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now you have one of two problems here if you're a Jewish person. Either A, he appeared without a face, trying to keep consistent with Exodus, or the one talking to Moses is not the one who appeared. So now you have two going by the name of Lord. Well, we're almost there to the Trinity, and I could go to the hovering of the deep and show you the spirit in chapter 1, by the way, but we're just working it this way. He appears to him. He talks to him. He has two other people with him. Those are the angels that go to Sodom and Gomorrah. But you say, yeah, I'm not convinced, Pastor Joe. Okay, well, let's go now to the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Go to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 19. And go to verse 24. So we have to help the Jewish person understand we don't believe in three gods. Just like we don't believe in three human races because at the beginning of creation there was Adam and Eve and their child eventually coming forth. No, we believe in one human race that has multiple persons. We believe in one God kind, but there are three persons who share the name of God. You say in Exodus that he can't be seen, but yet in Genesis, the book prior, he hung out with Abraham. What's the problem here? Must be two persons. How do I know this? Look at when the judgment comes, now in verse 24, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Highlight that for these folks, please. Come on, you guys get something today? Don't let anybody deceive you. Know the original first. Some of you might be like, man, I thought we were going to talk more about Antichrist. Trust me, we're going to get there. I'm going to name some names, show you some goofy pictures and stuff. We're going, we're going to do that. But I have to show you who the real God is first, who the real Christ is first. You've got to be more turned on by real doctrine than conspiracy. Okay? Some, some people don't want to learn the Constitution, but they want to talk about the Illuminati. You've you, you got to understand the basics first before you go on to this other stuff. Okay? So learn the original first before you try to point out a fake everywhere. Our God is one revealed in three persons. From the very beginning, it's been this way. One point, he's saying, you can't even see my face. Another point, he's hanging out eating with folks. Then the very next chapter says, the Lord says, rain it down, Lord, and then sent the fire down. So do we have two lords? No, the Bible's clear. One God revealed in three persons. Here is Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, God, on earth, meeting with Abraham, hanging out, then talking to Father God, Father Yahweh, Father Lord. Yahweh and Jehovah are just different words for the same Hebrew, uh, English words for the same Hebrew word. If you go from uh, Yohevahe into uh, direct English, it would be Yahweh. If you go Yohevahe into German, then to English, it's Jehovah, okay? So Lord is an English way of saying Yohevahe, Yohevahe directly from Hebrew to English is Yahweh. From German, it's Jehovah. Does everybody get that? Okay, so here we have Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Yahweh, Jesus, Jehovah, talking to Father Yahweh, Father Jehovah. Send it on down. Who was Moses hanging out with? Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 33, there's actually a contradiction I've showed you guys there before, unless you can resolve it with the Trinity. Go to Exodus chapter 33 and the verses prior to where he says, you can't see my face. This is the same revelation of personhood. In Exodus chapter 33, go on up uh, right here to verse 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. In the very next verses, he says, well, I want to see your face. And he goes, you can't even see my face and live. 
Go to John 1.18. We'll conclude it in this session on the Trinity, and then we'll get to some of the Antichrist. Are you ready for that? And we're not going to end with the Antichrist. We're going to end with remaining in Christ. But I just want you to understand true doctrine before we go forward. John summarizes it like this in his gospel, puts, puts it all together so that in the New Testament, now we can understand who our God is. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, so Jesus is God, but he's not the Father. He makes it perfectly clear in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. That is talking about the Father. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So who was Moses meeting with face to face? Jesus. Who was the one that you said, said you can't even see my face? The Father. Who was the one that met with Abraham? Jesus. Who was the one that sent down the fire from heaven? The Father. Boom. There you go. And, and all you have to do is just go to simple pictures of the baptism in other places like the mountain of transfiguration. At the baptism, you see the, the son, father speaking, dove coming down. Mountain of transfiguration, son, father speaking, cloud of glory. Any questions, class? Baptize them in the one name, singular name of the father, son, Holy Spirit. It's there. Anybody who says, well, the word Trinity is not in there, you know, that, that they're missing the entire point. We're not building a doctrine upon a word. We're building a doctrine upon the concepts of the Bible. You could call it three in oneness if you wanted to. You don't have to use that exact word. It's do you believe the concept that there is one God who is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit? That's all we're asking as Christians. Amen. Let's go back to the notes. Don't be an antichrist and don't follow antichrist. The people at this time were denying his messiahship. Paul wanted to make sure that we added more to that. You can't just deny his messiahship. Uh, You could could acknowledge his messiahship, but you also have to acknowledge him as God. That's true salvation. And that's actually what what John was saying in chapter 1. Now, let's finish out this section, please. Let's go to the next verses. As for you, somebody say, as for me. Somebody say, I got it. Come on, as for you, you got this. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So that's what John is saying. You you know all of this, in other words. Make sure it remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and the Father. Notice the two persons there. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. John 3, 16, that's what he promised us, amen? I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to take advantage of you. As for you, the anointing, which we know comes from the Holy Spirit, you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so we talked about the Antichrist, corrected it with the true Christ, true understanding of God, and now we're encouraged to remain in him. But before we go to remaining in him, I want to show you what's trying to lead you astray in this generation. My brother, would you put up that picture, please? In this generation, people are being led astray by all kinds of false Christs. They come from all different backgrounds. Sadly, now all cultures have participated in this. It's not just the white crazy guy like David Koresh. 
This was a Latino man from Puerto Rico who thought he was Jesus. He's dead now. African-American from Jamaica, he believes he's a kind of Christ. This Filipino man believes he's the true Christ. This guy from Siberia believes he's Jesus. Reverend Sun Young Moon and his wife, uh, he believed he was Jesus reincarnated and all of this. And this Indian guru up here and this guru both believe that they're manifestations of Jesus. Matter of fact, all three of these gurus and this man right here all believe they're manifestations of Jesus who comes from Krishna. Here's a perverted uh, Jesus here of Russia, I believe. He's a perverted man. He always has a lot of women around him. And then here's that one that I talked about before in Korea. She believes that she was married to Jesus, yet she's mother God. So it's like she married her son. It's weird. Uh, this guy has died as well. So let's talk about how many are dead right now who claim to be Jesus, okay? Reverend Sun Young Moon, dead. This man from Puerto Rico, dead. This false guru, dead. Adida, that guy, dead. And this man who claimed to be Jesus, dead. Okay, how's that working for y'all? How's that going for you? And this guy way up here in the corner, Adida, I found out about him by walking down Fullerton one day, and I saw a picture of him uh, right, right, right around Logan Square, and I started meeting people who were worshiping him. And at that time, he was alive, and I was trying to preach to them, and we were building relationships, and it didn't really go anywhere. But when I found out he was dead, I called him up, and I said, what you doing now, son? <laughs> They're like, oh, but his spirit's with me. Oh, yeah, I bet you're going to say that. I bet you're going to say that. See, the difference is, yeah, we believe the Holy Spirit came after Jesus ascended and rose from the dead. We believe 500 of our disciples touched him and saw him. Now, somebody might say, well, what if these guys believe this? No, nobody even believes these people raised from the dead. To them, it's all spiritual. Ours was not a spiritual belief. Don't you remember? Let's go back to 1 John chapter 1, though, not in the notes. Don't you remember exactly what our apostles said to us? That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which our ears have heard, what we have touched, that's what we're preaching See, anybody can have a private revelation and say, oh, I'm God and I'm spiritually with you. Chapter 1, good sir, please. They can say all of that, but that doesn't mean jack diddly just because you believe that. Our disciples were very clear. Our eyes have seen. Our ears have heard. We have looked and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Go to the book of Revelation, also written by John. Also written by John. Look at what he said about Jesus when Jesus appeared to him. Don't you all love Jesus, somebody? Come on, let's talk about Jesus a little bit. I don't want to give these guys too much attention, but we'll go back to them just for a little bit. Go to verse 17 of chapter 1 of Revelation. John falls down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death in Hades. So let's go back to all these false Christs and antichrists. Your founders, most of you are already dead. Ours are still alive. But let's just get a couple of things as we look at these pictures. What, you know, like what takeaways do you get, class, when you, when you see them? Number one, what, what I get is they're all trying to be so religious, happy, presentable. I mean, when you look at this sweet little African-American guy right there, you know, he looks like a little Mr. Magoo or something, you know, and, and, this, and this little guy here being Jesus and all that. I mean, it just, it just looks like, I mean, it's got to be true, you know? What I notice is that they're all trying to play on our sense of what we think God is like. They're playing to the sense of idolatry. 
And remember what we learned in 1 John, that they were once with us, but they left us, therefore they were never of us. So many of these people's followers came from Christianity. Not only did they come out of Christianity, but their followers did as well. And so what does that tell us? The followers of Christianity often aren't here for Christ. It's not Christianity. Maybe they're just here for Niceanity. Maybe you're here because you want to be nicer and make more friends and win, win people over to your side of doing things, influential. You see, if that's your heart, really, is just to have a better life, quote-unquote, better life, more happiness and those kinds of things, then these guys will be there to meet you because they'll help make you happy too. They'll help make you feel good. Some of the things that I do is I watch their videos, and I would say be careful, um, you know, but when you watch these videos, they're worship services, they're vibrant, people are emotional, they're crying, uh, especially this false Christ from the Philippines. You would think you were watching a normal Joel Osteen service, but they're actually singing songs to him, they're worshiping him. Uh, when, you, when you look at these different things that they offer, they offer something in the flesh with that little bit of, you know, a little bit of salt of religion there. You know, just sprinkle a little bit of salt of religion and feel better. So it's almost like if you don't like the Jesus of Christianity, there's a Jesus for you. If you want a Jesus that's more vegan, the Siberian Jesus is for you. If you want a Jesus that you can actually see and not have to use your faith, then the Filipino Jesus is for you. If you want some of these guru Jesuses, then they'll let you worship them and adorn them in gold. And, and it, you know, they'll let you do that. If you want the Jesus of Puerto Rico, who was a perverse man, the, you know, these Jesuses will let you be perverse, homosexual, adulterous. These, these Jesuses here all offer something that the real Jesus didn't. And so what it shows me is that, number one, they're playing on our senses. And then, number two, they're offering us something that Jesus doesn't. And so this is where you get the truth of what you want from Jesus do you want Jesus to give you a blank check for your sexuality? Like, do you just want to be sexually whoever you want to be? Is that what you want from Jesus? So you don't want Christianity. You don't want Christ as center. You want sex as center. There's a Jesus to go with that. Let's say you just want to not judge anybody. You don't want judgmental Jesus. You want Siberian Jesus where everybody gets to go to heaven eventually and, and that God is only love. He's not judgment, all that. Then you get to go to that. Let's go back to the notes, please. All of these people are going to hell unless they repent, and so are their followers. Go on down to the grapevine, please. This is what the apostle said to us. He said, remain in Christ. First and foremost, you need to want to be in Christianity because of Christ. Think about Christianity and how it started and where it came from. Did Jesus say to the fishermen, come follow me and I will make you sexually free to do every, whatever you want? Is that what he said to them? Did he say, come and follow me and we'll build the Garden of Eden together like these cults do? No. Did he say, come and follow me, and I'll give you political power, gold, and wealth? No. What did he say? He said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then when he began to teach them, what was the first thing he said? Exalt yourself. Live for yourself. No. What did he say? Deny yourself. And then what? Take up your cross. All of these false Jesuses have a crossless Jesus. 
The Bible says that he still bears the mark of the cross. The Bible says that when he comes, every eye will see him. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, not in the notes, but just so you can see. Anybody who says, Jesus is over here, watch this video, learn about Jesus, he's here now, let's go to the Philippines. The moment somebody says, Jesus is somewhere, they're already disqualified from having the real Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that from those who remember the Matthew series? Come on, go to Matthew chapter 24. Look at what it says in verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days have been shortened. The last days will be shortened, my friends, because if not, most people would be deceived, the Bible says. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive, which, by the way, I don't even think we've gotten to that yet. These guys are still, like, doing the magic tricks that you get out of a McDonald's box. Wait till they start doing actual miracles on TV and then with their false doctrine what happens because the Bible says there will be deception following their message so all these people who just want a miracle or just want a touch and just don't want all that the Antichrist got something coming for you there's going to be signs and wonders following them if possible even the elect will be deceived see I've told you these things so if anyone says there he is out in the Philippines or out in Korea do not go out or here he is he's in the inner sanctuary in, in Chicago in this ashram do not believe it for as the lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so will be the coming of the son of man wherever there is a carcass there will be the vultures to gather I've even heard these false antichrists say, it says it will come from the east to the west. Here we are from the east coming to the west on TV. Everybody sees us. No, read the end of it, and the vultures will be there too. That's after God has killed about 100 million people. Not only does he come and the entire globe see him without TV, he circles the globe in judgment. Blood comes as high as a horse's head. There is flesh of dead bodies laid out everywhere, and vultures are gorging. That's when uh, the Bible says, you can know for sure Jesus has come. <laughs> yeah, when everybody has seen him, judgment's been laid down. There's Jesus. You don't have to sell a ticket to it. You don't have to watch a YouTube video of it. There's your Jesus saying, this is when it goes down. Going back to the notes, please, or to that picture of the vine. I want to ask you a question. Are you going to remain in Christ? Or are you going to be deceived by what's coming out into the world right now? Because remember we already talked about some of the false claims of John. Where I'm seeing it happen in our world right now is some of the claims that you can, still serve, you can be a homosexual and still serve Jesus. Doesn't sound like a big leap. Jesus is still God. Jesus is still Messiah. Passed some of those tests. But what, what test is it not passing? If you claim to live in the light but still are in the darkness, you lie. If you say you love him but you don't keep his commands, you lie. But what do people now want to do? They want to go to the commands of God and just race a few. And what is that journey leading towards? A false Christ. A false gospel. And so it starts suddenly. The Jesus of the Bible didn't command against X, Y, and Z. You can have the Jesus of the Bible and still have X, Y, and Z. And so I want you to be aware of some of those things. But more important than that is remaining in the real Jesus. That's why we should receive the commands of God. How many receive the commands of God? 
Why do you do that? Because you see how it bears fruit in your life. Does God do something great in our sexuality? Absolutely. But he doesn't give us a a do-whatever-you-want card with sexuality, and that's how we're happy. No, he plugs our sexuality into him, and he lets it flourish through his power, his grace, his mercy, his love. I deny my way of doing it, and I plug into his. I don't plug my sexuality into the world or into some false guru. What I do is I plug my sexuality into Jesus. Well, what about houses and land and being blessed and all those things? Yeah, the Bible says those things can follow a Christian's life, but you're not plugging that into the lifestyle of greed and idolatry. You're plugging in your job. You're plugging in your gifts and your talents and your resources into the vine of God, letting him bring forth fruit in your life. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. With that picture remaining... Up, would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15? The reason why the term remain is used here by John is because John heard Jesus talk like this. As I read this out, I want you to have that image in your mind. So follow along on your phone or your Bible. But I want us to have the image that Jesus had in mind. So imagine you're with Jesus on a mountainside and there's vineyards everywhere. What would you think as he's telling this? You, you, you would get the uh, illustration perfectly. Look at John 15, 1. Jesus talking, I am the true vine. Does he share that with the Jesus of Puerto Rico, the Jesus, false Jesus of the Philippines? No. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Do you ever feel like in life you're getting your character pruned? Do you ever feel like there's things changing around you, things that you used to find acceptable, but now you don't anymore? Do you sometimes wish you could get out of that pruning? Don't. That's actually God's love for you. He's showing you what he wants in your life and my life. Yeah, you can run down the road to the guru who says, yeah, you don't need to worry about that. But remember, when you do that, you're coming out of Jesus. When we stay in Jesus, Jesus will deal with our attitudes. Jesus will deal with our perversions. That's why when you see Mormons and all of their polygamy and they try to point back to the Old Testament and say, these people did it, we can do it now, you know, despite all of their other false doctrine, that might be tempting to some people. I've talked to others and they're like, man, I want to be like Abraham, man. I want to have some wives up in here, you know. Look at all the trouble that came from that. How did God originally create us? Man and woman. And so Mormonism might be tempting. Well, I can go have some polygamy right now. Polygamy will take from you more than it could ever give. So often when people are leaving Christianity, true Christianity, for these other things, they don't understand the price that they're paying. They, they think to themselves, oh, I'm going to have all of this stuff, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm also going to have all this other stuff. No. The moment you leave Christ, you leave his peace, you leave his joy, you can't bring it with you. And so often, even us in this church, some of you as backsliders, you you understood that. You thought maybe you would just go to another church. We didn't see you for a while because that other church didn't want to disciple you, didn't want to keep you accountable. You still wanted to have that girlfriend you were having sex with, her boyfriend, etc. How did that church work out for you? How did that experience change you? It really didn't. You were just a sinner just sitting in a church service being religious. You weren't being changed. You weren't coming to be more like Christ in your actions and attitudes. In other words, you weren't bearing fruit. You were just withering up on the ground. 
But you had a lot of people around you who were clapping and singing and doing all of this. And it felt kind of like Metro Praise, right? There was clapping, singing here, clapping, singing there. Somebody get up and gives a message. Somebody gave up, you know, stood up there and gave a message. But the problem was you weren't where you were supposed to be. And I'm not saying we're the only church. I'm just giving you an example. Some of you have tried to run from Christ, run from his calling. And he's saying to you, I'm not going to give you the fruit unless you're plugged into the root. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. You got to have the root if you want the fruit. He said, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Once again, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, Rachel and and, uh, Adam, would you come please? Looking at this picture, what do you see? You see fruitfulness. What should we see in your life? Fruitfulness. You today should have fruitfulness in your character and in your doctrine. You believe the right thing and you do the right thing. Do you always have it right? No. So what does God do? Snip, snip, snip. Prunes it out. You don't then look for someone else to accommodate your sin. You accept where God has you. For example, when I was looking for a wife, And I didn't find one. I was 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, single. Didn't really date a lot. But right around 21, I felt that it was okay to start dating. Didn't get married till 28. But for the next seven years, I would start to build relationships with females. And so often, the Lord would tell me, that's not your mate. But I would not listen. Because I would think to myself, well, it's better hanging out with her than being alone. And if I get a little kissy-kissy, you know, Christians try to get away with as much as they can, you know. I was like, if I get a little kissy-kissy, then that will make me feel better. I'm all alone, all by my lonesome in this house. Hang out with a girl every now and then. Little, little soft touch, little holding of the hand, okay. Then I'll feel better. But you know what I began to realize? Is that that little make-out session with a girl that wasn't even my spouse would leave me convicted. And then at those moments, I had a choice. I had a choice at those moments. I can cut off that which I'm now in and join to something that I haven't been in. I can cut out. I can leave here this vineyard, and I can come into this thing with her and call it something else. And that temptation would come to me through my senses, through my feelings, But I always remember at those times, thankfully, the Holy Spirit was there. And even though no one else was there to teach me, the Holy Spirit was there to teach me all things and say, you don't want to do that. How about bitterness and other things that come natural to our feelings and emotions? Some of you might say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I can't forgive so-and-so. I'm a Christian, but I'm bitter towards this person. What you are doing is saying, I want to be cut out. I want to leave the vineyard. And be attached to this thing called bitterness. How is that going for you? Bitterness comes in literally like the Bible says, like a weed and starts choking out the life of God. 
The Bible says, do not let a root of bitterness spring up in your life and defile you. So yes, some of us, and probably most of us here, won't be tempted by those antichrists, but it may be subtle tricks of the enemy to try to pull us away from the fruitful vine of God. And we have to guard our hearts and say, God, my heart is your garden. Plant in me that which you want. Bring forth that which looks like you. Not a guy who smiles. Just because he smiles doesn't mean he's like you, Jesus. I want more than just a cheap, cheesy guru smile. Jesus, I want righteousness when I smile. I want joy. I don't want uh, the feeling of, a, you know, of a, just a moment, a hype, a party, a convention, a conference. God, I want abiding joy. I want things that you give me that no one else can give me. God, I want peace. Beyond my own understanding, God, I want to be satisfied in you. I want my all to be yours and for all that you have for me to be mine. Come on, we'll say that again. What does abiding look like? It looks like you giving God your all, just total surrender, and then you receiving all that God has for you. When we're in that place, and I know many of you are here today, you're in a safe place. It doesn't mean you can't get tempted. It doesn't mean you couldn't possibly fall away. But you are in a safe place because now you know the real. Now you know what it looks like. How many know if I had up here a fake uh, table setting of grapes and over here real grapes, it would be hard to tell depending on where you were sitting at which one was real or fake. Okay, so he, here, here's the fake one. Here's the real one. <laughs> How many have ever been at somebody's house and tried to grab or eat one of the fake ones? I've been there. Oh, man, apple looks good. And then you touch it, obviously. I haven't actually tried to bite into it. But you touch it, and you're like, man, there's an apple. Okay, see? Look, look, look. But as much as it looks like it's the same, it's not the same at all. Those, those dudes, they look like they're a Jesus. They look like maybe they could be. They have the long hair or whatever they think Jesus is supposed to be like. But is it real? No, no. Do they have what the real Jesus has? No, but you do, and I do. And so if we stay with the anointing, as the Bible says, if we stay with the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, many people are getting converted out of these cults, and they're talking about the immense difference when they come to the relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we have that, there's nothing like that in the whole world. It's not just we go out and do charity. Cults can do charity. It's not that we just smile. Cults can smile. It's not that we can just go through the Bible and hopscotch and make some things make sense. No, they can put a tin hat on and draw a bunch of lines in the Bible that aren't there with yarn, you know. Uh, no, what separates us from the world is that we have the God of the creator of the world. We have him in our heart, and he's in our lives to bear that fruit. Would you just take a moment of prayer right now? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just ask him to come into your life. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the God of Israel. You're my God today. Repent of your sins. Those of you here who have already been saved, look at your heart right now and see if there's anything in you that doesn't belong. And ask the Lord to start pruning Prune it out, Jesus. Cut it out. Cut out attitudes. Cut out uh, perversions. Cut out mindsets. Cut out words, actions, thoughts, deeds that don't line up to you, God. Come on, in this attitude of prayer, we surrender. We surrender to our gardener, the Father, to our vine, Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit, our source of life.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Some of you right now can start to pray, maybe even for some of these cults, or maybe you know people that are doing similar things like this, that they're in a different one. Lord, we pray for these movements. We pray for these leaders to repent. We pray for their followers to get out of these movements and to get saved, to know you, Jesus. We know the end times will be deceptive, Lord, but we still pray for mercy. We pray for grace. We pray for truth, that you would open up hearts, open up minds. Use us, God, to make a difference in this world. Keep us so that we never leave your side. We decide today to remain in your love, to remain in your character. Remain, God, in your truth. A few more moments right now. We surrender. Altar workers, would you just start to make your way up here if you can. In just a few moments, we'll dismiss, have prayer workers up here. But I really want this moment to be between you and Jesus. Abide. Abide. Remain in him. I was listening to a lot of the stories of people who joined these cults. And they talk about how there was always that thing missing in Christianity. And all those things that they talk about missing in Christianity was because they never really had a relationship with the real God. They went to some kind of a church that said God was all about their feelings or just all about making them happy, letting them do whatever they wanted. And then when they began to see that Christianity didn't give them enough freedom, enough, enough happiness, they wanted to go to these other places. But you see people like us who stay connected to God, we understand, you know, yeah, I could eat 10 cheesecakes right now if I wanted to, but that's not real happiness. I'm free to do that, but it's not beneficial to me. I could go out and get a prostitute tonight if I wanted, but that's not really going to benefit my family. And so you begin to see that what is sinful is really destructive no matter how good it looks at the beginning. Ask God to guard you today so that you don't get deceived into thinking that Christianity doesn't have something you need. No, Christianity has all that you need. But the problem is some of your needs aren't really what you think are needs. They're temptations. Christianity is not about fulfilling all of your wildest dreams and fantasies. It's about giving you God's heart and changing you to be like him. Come on, just a few more moments. God can change us because as we close out, if you need prayer for any of these things, we're here. And we're more than just a church that just preaches on Sunday and has activities during the week. We do discipleship here. We want to get into your life. So if you're here today and you haven't joined our discipleship, find somebody of the same gender and say, disciple me, teach me. I want to be guarded in this last hour. I want to get a firm foundation. As a matter of fact, I pray for all of those here today who haven't joined discipleship yet. You think you don't need it. You could be tomorrow's cult member if you think you don't need it. You could be so easily deceived. Somebody does one magic trick for you, calls it a God thing. You're following that cult. Come on. You need discipleship, if not just to honor our Lord. He commanded it, honor him and do it. Lord, I pray for everyone here who hasn't been discipled yet or started the process and they consider this their church. Lord, may they be disciples. May they get grounded in their faith. May they not be here just to hear a good message or to sing a couple songs. May they be here to learn, to study, to be disciplined, to experience your life. Make us fruitful, make us fruitful as we remain in you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Can we just stand up and give it up for Jesus? Come on. Everybody say.
When I am faithful to Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. When I am faithful to Jesus, He will make me fruitful. When I am faithful, He'll make me fruitful. Amen. God bless you. Let's bless Him one more time. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Live for the real Jesus.